Disclaimer. All comments throughout the podcast made by Andy Gardner-Flexner are Andy's own comments and not representative of studios past or present that Andy has worked for, Disney, Cartoon Network, etc. All comments and opinions expressed are solely Andy Gardner-Flexner's individual thoughts and opinions. Now, shall we get this show on the road? Welcome to the Postmodern Art Podcast, the podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wanting the world over the platform they deserve. I am your host, Nathan Raglan, and I don't know about you, but I am more than happy for today's episode. Happy. Today we have Andy Gardner-Flexner, an animator who's a leader of the Queer Tag, or the Animation Guild, who's worked on several amazing programs like Adventure Time, Samurai Jack, Summer Camp Island, and Disney's Amphibia. This was a lovely and genuine conversation, and I hope you all get as much from it as I did, if not more. If you enjoy Andy, go support him with his links in the description below. If you enjoy the podcast, you can support it with a subscribe or follow however you consume your podcast, or go to the merch shop and enjoy some amazing designs. Pride Month may be over, but the pride doesn't stop as all the Pride merch will still be up, and all the profits will still go to Lambda Literary or the Trans Lifeline. Get yours today. Also, if you want a place to talk about this podcast and others in the Apocalypse Podcast Network, consider joining our Discord server to talk about this podcast and others, send memes, and more with the link in the description below. In fact, let's hear about another stellar podcast in the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Art and entertainment inspire each of us in different ways. But have you ever wondered what inspires the people who create our cultural touchstones? I'm Adam Unz, and on the Spark Parade podcast, I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. Everything from Shakespeare to South Park. You'll hear from artists like Connor Oberst on Northern Exposure, Roisin Murphy on Terrence Conran's The House Book, and Adrian Young on Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. The Spark Parade, where artists reveal their cultural inspirations to spark the inspiration in you. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, without further ado, please enjoy the Postmodern Art Podcast not recording any of that dang it <laughs> i was checking the levels but i didn't record any of that <laughs> which is fine it's just fine <laughs> there we go all right make sure i got that going um let's see what was i gonna say uh <laughs> by the way i will say we will definitely be mentioning you know tipsy maria here and there because she had a good couple questions to to add on with the conversation that i think would be greatly appreciated more than anything else Perfect. I would yes. love to answer them. Absolutely. Oh, trust me. I I make sure to to try to do my research and have like a good, well-rounded group of questions. But Maria has really like shown up more than anything else, like helping me out with getting guests, with getting great questions, with merchandise as well. So, yes. yeah. gotta love it. Absolutely. I cannot thank her enough. <laughs> All right, Andy. Before we get started, I must ask the icebreaker question I ask for every single podcast. What is your most unpopular art opinion? Ooh, my most unpopular art opinion. Mm-hmm. 
Stop trying to be original. Okay. Chill. Okay. Care to elaborate Don't be on that original. A bit? Um, we are all on this long journey of being an artist. Okay. You are not going to be the best artist you're going to be at where you are right now. You're always evolving, always growing, always learning. So if you find something out there that you love, replicate it. Okay. And do just download it. Just be like, why, do I, why am I so drawn to this piece? And just look at everything about it, the values, the shading, the technique, the colors, etc. And try to replicate it. That's what people, that's what artists for years have been doing. They've been replicating the master's pieces to try to learn their techniques and their colors. So when I say stop trying to be original, I don't mean don't do art that you like. What I am saying is do art that you like, and if it's drawing eyes, draw eyes a thousand times until you know how to draw the best eye ever. And then you're going to be known as the person who draws eyes. And that's going to be great because that's something you love to do. Right, right. I mean, so just, I, I was going to say, I, on that. I was going to say, I totally get kind of where you're talking about because it's one of those, like, as much as every artist out there tries their best to be original at some points, you know, th there are certain opportunities and there are certain circumstances for people that really specialize on a certain opportunity. And if you know that you're good at those opportunities, you should definitely go forth with those opportunities. Is that more or less what you're saying or am i just putting your words That's, in your mouth at this point absolutely no absolutely uh you know if your forte is if you love drawing buildings uh and you're drawing buildings go for it be the best craftsmanship of building construction that you can be and you're going to be noticed if you share your love and passion out there with the world all right then basically just stop being original <laughs> is that a hill that you're willing to die on uh sure yeah, right, absolutely. You're original. You're if if you try so hard to be original, then, uh, I mean, good luck. More power to you. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I I yeah, I love to get a, a folder of inspiration, and I drop things that I absolutely love, and then I explore that piece, and I'm like, well, what from this can I take and put into my own, and and work with however I can work with it, you know, there and you that kind of leads to originality. But I'm not on the search for originality. I'm on the search for what drives my passion. There you go. There you go. I I can't think of a better way to word it, and I cannot think of a better way to start the Postmodern Art Podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Nathan Raglan. Uh, feel free to subscribe or follow whatever streaming platform you prefer. I'm a part of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. Go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com to see more about this podcast and other amazing ones in the network. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram at PostModArtPod for future updates and guest announcements, including today's guest. <laughs> he is an animator who's worked on shows like Samurai Jack, Adventure Time, and Summer Camp Island, who's currently the lead color designer for Disney's Amphibia. Welcome to the podcast, Andy Gardner Flexner! Woo! Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> How you doing today, my good sir? I'm doing wonderful, trying to stay cool in the heat wave. There you go. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, before you melt away too badly, I want to go back just a little bit. I want to know the origin stories of Andy. What got you interested in art and animation in the first place? Well, I was, I'm from the East Coast okay. of Maryland. Uh, and my whole family uh, are artists. Uh, really? My father is a professor at the college I attended. Uh, my mother does paintings and crafts. 
Um, and I have two older brothers. Uh, my oldest brother is not only a rock star, <laughs> he, uh, he also does like screen printing, logo design, graphic design. He is amazing at that. And then okay. uh, the uh, the middle, the, the second older brother, uh, he does pixel design, video game graphics, and uh, pixel animation. Um, so it's, I've been raised on art. I literally have been surrounded by art my whole life. Okay. Uh, and I didn't necessarily knew I wanted to go into animation. I just knew I'd like drawing. <laughs> I mean, it's a good start. Nothing else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially with like the family you're talking about, basically being born and bred into it more than anything else. And when did it for you go from like just being surrounded by that kind of stuff to like finding a love for it and then making it a passion and potentially your career? So I always escaped the world through drawing. Whenever I needed a break mm -hmm. from my mental and from anything happening, I would just escape in the world of my art and draw. Uh, and it wasn't until I got encouraged by a teacher who was like, oh, this is actually, this is really good that my mind kind of clicked and said, oh, that made me feel good. I wonder if I can keep exploring this, this outlet as something else. And my, my parent would either be like, oh, you should be like, uh, a doctor or, you know, do something that has like not art because they've lived in art and they're like we understand the struggle of it we want you to be comfortable <laughs> and um it, it wasn't until uh high school when i joined like art clubs that i was like oh uh i find a community here that i like and people like what i do and i really love anime and manga so i mean maybe there's something out there for me and my my art passion there we go. There we go. Was <clears throat> what were some of the the early animes and mangas that kind of inspired you to go further with this art pursuit, more or less? Oh man. <laughs> well, you know, when coming home from school and throwing on Toonami, the first things were Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z, of course. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Those were my go-to's. I'll never forget uh, first getting Pokemon Blue. My brother got Pokemon Red. Um, and we would play Pokemon while watching Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z. There we go. Um, the But from that, that kind of opened our world into anime. And then from there, we watched uh, Yu Yu Hakusho, Veroni Kenshin. Uh, for me, I binge-watched Bleach and Naruto. Um, so those were my go-tos. Oh, and Outlaw Star, of course. Yeah, I mean, those are all, like, great inspirations and, and great start. And something that definitely has a lot of heart to when you look back on those series more than anything yeah. else. <laughs> more than anything else. In fact, speaking of that, I do have a question that I forgot to ask a little sooner. But this comes from my amazing producer, Maria, a.k.a. Tipsy J. Hearts. Um, I must ask possibly one of the most important questions I've ever asked on this podcast. Does your heart go boop-goop or goop-boop? Ooh. Boop, boop, goop. Boop, goop? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I had to, like, listen to my, to my mind and be like, just follow the, the pulse. And I did it on each one, and boop, boop, boop seems to be the one. There you go. Again, that was from Maria, a.k.a. Tipsy J Hearts. Thought I would at least get that out there. But since, since, again, going back to, like, basically heart, but also, like, the inspirations or whatnot, you know, all these amazing shows with Toonami, I imagine that partially led the way 
to kind of some of the first opportunities that you have. As I noticed in my research, you've had some of your first opportunities with Cartoon Network, with Adventure Time and Samurai Jack and such. How did those yes, opportunities? How did those opportunities come up for you? So during college, I needed to get a internship. Okay. And my oldest brother uh, happened to do a favor to someone who was working in animation at the time. Mm -hmm. And my brother was like, hey, my my youngest brother needs an internship. What What is it like getting an internship over at like Cartoon Network? Because uh, I was watching Adventure Time, like many others, and fell in love with it. Um, I mean, who wouldn't? And... Right, that part. So I got into contact with my oldest brother's connection, and he was like, hey, give me your resume and uh, portfolio, and I'll send it over to my producer, and we'll see if we can get you an interview for an internship. And I was like, I, at the time, I was like, so, okay, I watch cartoons, but what you're saying is I can work on cartoons. Right. Is that right? I had, I, like, my mind didn't go there. My mind wasn't like, people make these. There's, like, names of credits of people. And I never thought that was, that could be me. So having this option presented to me blew my mind and just exploded this fiery pit of passion to yeah. pursue this 100%. Um, so that was my first in. And I also didn't just get in. I, like, had to apply for this two years straight like Goodness. four semesters worth um and my connection was like whatever you do don't email the producer at this email address and i said okay dear producer <laughs> my name is andy uh and i literally bugged the producer for semesters of school until she was like okay shut up kid fine we'll give you an interview um and this was tough because i was interviewing um over the phone this is before okay. like they did like Zoom conferences. So I had to like sell them over the phone. Which I imagine for art and animation is kind of hard to do, especially if you want like visuals or something along the lines of that. But but still, I, I digress. I digress. Um, what was I going to say? It's one of those like, I can only imagine how you must have experienced like just that sort of realization that people actually worked on animation and such. I had that realization myself whenever I was getting into college. Um, I was trying to be a filmmaker and such, and I guess it never really clicked for me until I actually was part of a, uh, what was it, Film and Video Society, like, film mm. club, more or less. And, like, yes. working with, like, the lead person, or the, the president of the club working on his short film made me sort of realize, oh, people do this. It's a reality. This is a great way to put my creative venture into. Because I was going to go for, like, sports broadcasting or something along the lines of that, so, <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine like how surreal that opportunity and especially like actually being able to work on a show like Adventure Time must have been for you. Oh my gosh, working on Adventure Time was a trip. That sh that show is wild and it was uh the internship was really unique because I got to do a lot of things that are not offered for internships. Uh right. now uh I got to help with a Comic-Con, because uh, I interned during the summer, so that's when Comic-Con was happening. So I got to help with Comic-Con and uh, volunteer with uh, someone who had a booth and get a free pass into Comic-Con and attend the Cartoon Network panels. And I'll never forget this experience. That like, uh, and I, if, if this kid is out there listening to this, just know that I literally think about this often. 
Um, I had my Cartoon Network badge out at the Cartoon Network uh, booth, mm-hmm. and a kid saw it, looked down at my badge, looked up to me, looked down at my badge, looked up to me, and held out his hand. It's like, hi, uh, it's so nice to meet you. And I was like, oh my god, I feel like somebody. And that like made my whole trip at Comic-Con. Just that one, that kid who felt encouraged to reach out and say, hi, I really love the work that you're doing. And I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I imagine if you were in that kid's shoes and you saw someone that worked on something you love, you probably would be feeling the same way, I imagine. I I sure would, and I don't know if I would have had the confidence to say hi. But uh, whoever that kid was, thank you so much for saying hi. Absolutely. Hey, for all you know, he could be working in the industry right now. That part. We could uh, be co-workers. We could be co- you could be co-workers, which I think would be just the ultimate like full circle more than anything else. It really would. <laughs> but speaking of full circle, as someone as yourself that used to work on or that used to love like watching Toonami and such, how surreal must have been for you to be working on Samurai Jack when it was on Toonami? Oh man. Uh so I'm I was working on Adventure Time during uh the Samurai Jack uh fifth season being produced uh at Cartoon Network. So the producer on Adventure Time was offered the chance to, at the same time, produce the last season of Samurai Jack. And I was a really hard worker, still am a hard worker, and (laughs) my producer noticed this and was like, so I want to let you know I have this amazing opportunity that I'm going to be like producing this last season of Samurai Jack. And I was like, oh my God, you're amazing. Go get your things. Yes, please. Uh, And she was like, how would you feel about doing the same? And I was like, excuse me? Uh, and she was like, how would you feel about working all on Adventure Time, work on Samurai Jack as well? And my mind exploded <laughs> because I got to work very closely with Gindy and Gindy's crew of misfits that he brings with him to every production he yeah. goes to. Good lord, I I I am officially envious of you because I would only dream to have like just <laughs> I would love to just at least have like a sit down conversation with any of them, especially Gendy. So the fact that you got to work alongside yeah. him throughout the the process of basically wrapping up one of his most notorious shows more than anything else, like that again it goes back to what I said before. I can only imagine how surreal the entire experience must have been for you. But I mean, I certainly had to get. Uh because I have a job to do, I had to get over that feeling quickly. Right. Um, one of the first interactions I had with him is I, uh, he was at a scanner scanning drawings from his sketchbook. And I was like, Gendy, what are you doing? He was like, oh, I'm just scanning these. I was like, Gendy, you have more important things to do. Give me that. I'm doing this for you. Um, so I, you know, took his sketchbook and I was literally scanning his drawings and I was like, while I was doing this, I was like, la la la, doing my work. And then it hit me. I was like, oh my God, I'm holding Gendy's sketchbook and I'm <laughs> scanning his drawings. Um, and it was just so wonderful to get to know Gendy. And uh, he's such a he's such a character. It was so funny. It, I would always leave his office and I'd be like, bye. And he would say it back, bye. Uh, <laughs> hey, if nothing else, you're leaving a good impression on the guy, so. <laughs> you know what? I hope he does remember me. I'm sure he does, but... It's been a while since I've uh, Samurai Jack that season wrapped two, yeah. three, four, four years maybe. 
four years ago. I feel like five. that's about the time. I'm sure someone out there will fact check this. Um, <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's not like he's really slowed down anytime soon. I mean, with the the Hotel Transylvania right. now, was it the I forget what it's called, like the the Unicorn Force or whatever it's it's called. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Like, I'm very excited to see what that looks like. Oh, absolutely, and I, I hope that there's a, a time down the line that you get a chance to work with him again, because again, based on the experience you talked about more than anything else, like again, like. Like I said before, you used to grow up like watching this kind of stuff, and now you're actually like being just laboratory, yeah. like Samurai Jack, and just those like especially Samurai Jack was such a a huge inspiration to me, mm-hmm. and uh, being able to at least see the process of thought of how a creator like that goes through uh, production was mind opening, right. Right. I mean, absolutely. Especially, again, someone as highly, I guess, prestige as him, like with all this creativity just flowing out of him, every opportunity he steps into a room like that's again, I, I, I envy you, my good sir. <laughs> um, I, think, I think you. There you go. Um, but of course, like, you know, those opportunities as well, like, you know, once that show ended, it's not like you could really end with the show as well. And you kept going also working on, correct me if I'm wrong, Summer Camp Island as a color designer. Was that your first opportunity to be a color designer? So um, while wrapping up on Adventure Time, uh, the way that it goes is usually the producer and most of the production crew will jump on to some new production and show that is starting up. Okay. Um, I knew Adventure Time like the back of my hand. I knew all eight seasons and episodes <laughs> and where models were, and it was a given that I should be on Adventure Time and wrap it up right. because I knew, I just knew everything about it. So I stayed on the production and uh, I worked very closely and I had a really wonderful relationship with my art director uh, at the time. And uh, she was working on Adventure Time and then moved on to Summer Camp Island and started ramping up that production. And I had already uh, talked with my uh, with her and told her that I am interested in getting into the art aspect of animation. Mm-hmm. And uh, on Summer, Summer of Jack, I actually did something that I don't recommend people doing, which is um, uh, I colored a, a prop for Gendy. Uh, or uh, a couple, I, I colored a couple things for him just to get it out of the way and get production done. And he was like, "Oh, you did these? Wow, these are great. No notes. Go ahead and ship it." And I was like, "Okay, thanks, Gendy," and like quickly did it. And then like it hit me. I was like, "Oh, wait, hold on. He just said that I did a really good job on making an art piece that was for his show." And then at that point, I was like, "I think I need to pursue color design." So I talked with my art director, and she actually gave me some freelance to do on Adventure Time. So I got to do some freelance on Adventure Time, uh, color design-wise. I did some color design on the um, last two parts of the the series finale, and I also did the color design for the Minecraft episode. Okay, okay, okay. So I had already, like, worked with my art director as a color designer, so... uh, by the time Adventure Time was wrapping up or, you know, in post-production for the last couple of episodes, mm-hmm. I showed her a test I did for Steven Universe uh, color design. They weren't looking for anyone, but they were gracious enough for me to get some practice in and take the test. Right. And she was like, oh, you're, you know, this is, this is really good. How would you feel about doing maybe some freelance on Summer Camp Island? 
just to see if you would be a good fit for color design. And I jumped at that opportunity. Right. So I did color design uh, freelance and she loved it. And long story short, she, I uh, jumped off of Adventure Time and started working as a color designer for Summer Camp Island. There we go. There we go. Now, before we divulge too much into the conversation of what exactly you did, for those who may not know what exactly a color designer is, how would you describe it in layman's terms, I guess? Sure. So um, there's a couple of design aspects that go into animation. Mm -hmm. Specifically, color design will work on the characters, the props, and the effects. And also, for example, uh, if your characters are out on a sunny day field, uh, they would just have a day color to them. But if they go into maybe a dark uh, tunnel, they would look a little weird if they were just in a day palette. So a color designer will also do the palettes for these characters. So we'll put on um, a color temperature and a, a, a color styling to the characters' props and effects when they need to be adjusted for the background. Uh, so pretty much anything that's moving on screen, a color design a uh, color designer had to touch and color give the colors for those uh, moving elements okay okay i imagine you guys probably work hand in hand with um compositing and such making sure that the color temperatures the shadows and stuff all align perfectly to make sure that the shot in animation form is a little bit more lived in correct me if i'm assuming sure uh compositor we can substitute with that with art director uh because okay. the art director will be um really monitoring and also color supervisor uh color supervisors do the same thing they'll make sure that all of the color on our character props and effects as well as the background all go well together and look right on screen okay okay take notes animation people out there because this is a very important <laughs> part of the job uh how, how well i let's elaborate on that a little bit how important do you at least personally think color design is when it comes to animation as a whole when i tell you Color design, uh, there's a long history with color design. Okay. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and plug a Twitter account y'all should follow. It's called Color is Design. Color is uh, Design. They have a lot of information um, in regards to how color design started. Mm -hmm. uh, a really brief history. Uh, color design was formerly known as color styling or color, being a color stylist. Okay. Uh, that came from the ink and paint girls from the Disney films. So the ink and paint girls, uh, the that position of ink and paint was hired only for women because it was thought to be a quote, entry level position, unquote, and was heavily underpaid. Right. Um, because of course, misogyny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, fast forward, that job, evolved with the technology and became color styling and it was still undervalued and over overworked and underpaid and very much mar marginalized within the community of animation mm -hmm. so fast forward into a more current time uh the color is design group the color design committee of tag the animation guild has been working very hard to get equal rights and equal benefits for color designers as their design counterparts. Um, we as color designers work with anywhere from 50 to 200 files per episode. So we are coloring, giving colors and creating 
and organizing and managing all of this work and being paid under to our counterpart designers. Good lord. Side, vital, vital for production. Uh, in terms of organization, asset management, um, we also, when we're coloring these, we inadvertently are also checking the episode before it gets to the art director. So while we're coloring models, we're like, oh, actually, this this file is wrong. And then we have to communicate with production saying, hey, I noticed that this model is drawn incorrectly or is off model or it doesn't hook up to the storyboard. Mm -hmm. So not only are we doing our job, but we're also checking the episode and the continuity of the episode and making sure it's a really good sealed package before being delivered to the art director and the showrunner. Goodness. I, I never thought I would appreciate the, the people working in animation more than I already did, but hearing that entire history or something like that, it really opens people's eyes when you understand yes. just all that goes into it more than anything else. So... Thank you for elating us with all that information. It is very much appreciated. Absolutely. Thank you for that question. Hey. Color design should be very valued. I, I imagine, like, you know, color design, you know, it, it's obviously, like you emphasize, it's a very vital part, and especially with the people that, you know, worked on it, especially after all the years that you talked about with how marginalized and underpaid and underappreciated everyone must have been. Like, that. that's part of the reason why I wanted to have, like, this kind of podcast and such, to emphasize those people that are doing the important work and doing this amazing work to, to create something that people can consume in a in a amazing manner more than anything else. So thank you for raising Absolutely. that awareness more than anything else. Thank you so much. Thank you. And, I mean, you know, again, so you get these opportunities with, like, you know, Silver Camp Island, all this incredible kind of stuff. Was there ever a moment to you to where, like, at least in this little, like, Cartoon Network era – I should say to where you would say is like your proudest moment or like your most surreal moment, like working there. Oh man. I think, um, when I first, uh, there was, I think a lot of moments like that. And okay. I think one of the most rewarding ones, uh, during my time on adventure time, we had a lot of make a wish children come through right. and I was kind of the, uh, unofficial face of tours around oh. Cartoon Network because okay. of my bubbly personality and warm greeting uh, personality. So I was often the go-to person for these Make-A-Wish tours. Okay. And to see these kids make a wish to be to to sh see something that they love so much like animation and to just get to know it and be part of the crew for one day was so moving to me to be like oh this is like more than just me like i'm i'm doing some big work for someone else to have a really good day so uh that when i was able to give tours and and foster a really supportive atmosphere for make-a-wish children that would come through to cartoon network that was such a mind-blowing like oh i'm like in the industry doing something <laughs> that that's that's very touching and that's that's very sweet i you know i guess it really showcases more than anything else just how encompassing and how like just how awestruck and amazing animation can have impact on people more than anything else like it's more than just you know 
people loving you know a certain storyline or people you know appreciating a certain art style or anything like that it's it's the fact that it can touch people and like make them feel comfort more than anything else i mean i imagine with what you're talking about that that was a major major thought when it comes to those tours and such you're absolutely right yes and I, I can only imagine, you know, working in the animation still, like, I don't know how much those have ramped up or slowed down, but I imagine, especially with your current position or whatnot, they might ramp up a little bit more working with Disney Animation, working on the amazing show Amphibia. How did that opportunity come Woo! to you or anything else? I, uh, it, uh, I still don't believe it. So I was, <laughs> you know, minding my business at Cartoon Network, okay. doing color design, and I got an email from the recruitment at Disney saying, hey, uh, your portfolio caught the eyes of the art directors over at Amphibia, and we wanted to interview you for a position, for a color design position. So I said, oh, cool, bet, I love interviews. So um, I wasn't planning on going because I really enjoyed my job at Summer Camp Island. And I interviewed with them and we talked and we had such a great time. And, uh, you know, uh, before the interview, I like binge watched Amphibia. So I got to know the show. and then uh, they came back, and I was like, in my head, I had a number in my head, and I was like, okay, if they offer this, I'll go. And then they were like, hey, uh, we loved your interview, and we want to hire you, and we were going to hire you at this number, and the number was much higher than the number in my head. <laughs> and I said, oh, God. Um, so I went to uh, a dear friend of mine who is also in the union, and I said, um, I was just offered this number. What do I do? And she said, think of a number that makes you want to throw up. <laughs> tell them tell them that you want that number. And I said, "Is uh, oh, uh, oh. I was speechless. So I was like, hey, thank you um, for reaching back. And uh, man, it's such a shame. I really wanted to be hired on at this point. And they actually worked with me and got a middle ground. And I was okay. blown away by that. I was like, I can't. Uh, fun thing about that if you're gonna do that that means you're going to leave do not <laughs> when you when you re- return back with a counter offer don't do that if you're not planning on leaving so right. um so so i i did the counter offer and i was like oh this is a huge opportunity i have to i have to go so i gave like a whole month in advance of being like hey i gotta go i have a new opportunity at disney so that's that's the how i got into the uh, the house of the mouse. There you go. There you go. And I can only imagine with, especially as amazing of a show as Amphibia is, and especially seeing like the different colors and such that goes into like a single episode alone. How, how's the experience been for you working at Amphibia compared to some of the other places you've worked at? So summer camp Island, the palette is very unsaturated. Uh, a general rule of thumb that I carried with my color design on summer camp Island was that I generally don't go over 50% more saturation all the levels are generally there might be like one or two colors as like a high like a a, uh uh just as like a main color a focal point color that goes over the 50 percent. so generally speaking summer camp island unsaturated Mm -hmm. amphibia very saturated and also these frogs wild like i (laughs) during the interview i was like uh because when i was watching amphibia i was trying to pick up on things that the production does and the color design does and i was Mm -hmm. like the one question I have is how in the world are y'all deciding the inside mouth colors of these rods? Because they are wild. <laughs> yeah, it's something um, you never really think about, but go on. Yes. 
that that was a, a huge thing for me. So uh, eventually, I got accustomed to uh, Matt's uh, preferred colors for the inside mouth and things like that. So it's not even an issue now. It's very easy to do and very fun. Um, it, but the the switch has been very very skill expanding. Um, okay. Working on that show, I my skill has jumped through the roof. I literally the, the effects the hyper anime inspired effects on that show oh yeah test test my abilities of photoshop <laughs> um absolutely and just the 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 monsters the creatures the the backgrounds that are amazing and you're like oh these are amazing backgrounds i need to do my colors to look so stellar and just the character designs the prop and effect designs that come out of that show really push you and drive you to do good for those so uh it's been a wild shift of style but i'm very used to amphibia style now i mean i can i i, I would hope you're just at this point because you recently got promoted mm -hmm. to being the lead color designer for this upcoming season <laughs> Um, I, I did want to say that with like the the hyper colorization that you're talking about, especially with the anime style, I imagine you probably had at least a mentally a little bit prep for it, because the fact that you grew up on anime and such, so I can only imagine like you are absolutely right. Yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine like seeing how they go forth with their production and their colors and such. Like for you, it may have been a challenge, but certainly wasn't one that you weren't willing to tackle, seeing as you're still there at this point. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I um uh after hanging out with Matt and the crew for so long and getting to know their taste of anime and shows that they like, I can, whenever I see an effect, I'm like, oh, I have a feeling I know where Matt's going with this effect. And I can go to like maybe like One Punch Man or like a really retro anime and uh, reference the, how those effects were colored and produce something very similarly. Fair enough. Fair enough. Do you know? Do you know off the top of your head at least one of, or at least like a top three of his favorite animes or whatnot that he like loved and is inspired by the show? Excellent question. Jeez, uh, I mean, other than like Sonic, okay. uh, Sonic's. I mean, anime Sonic. It's probably like right there. Um, but uh, there's also some more retro, not like Gundam, but like Gundam adjacent shows and anime, uh, like the Mech. Uh, the mecha type okay. of animes um, and uh, one that we both found a, a love for was uh, Flip Flappers it's a very not popular anime um, and when I recommend it I'm not saying it's a perfect show there's definitely some things that are a bit cringy about it um, but the visuals ooh and the animation ooh <laughs> solid something just that's definitely like, above and beyond a standard yeah. anime more or less when i say when i say flip flappers i want to put an asterisk saying i don't like a hundred percent back the uh some things of it if you do decide to watch it uh just be just be on the mind you're like oh wait oh that's cringe oh maybe a little inappropriate of course all, right. all anime is like that um so but I will say the animation and color design and just imagination of that anime, stellar. More or less, the visual aspects of it are more of an inspiration for a show, not the contextual aspect. Yeah. 
Which, Very good way of putting it. Exactly. More or less, just trying to make sure I cover your tail end. <laughs> no, Thank you. Um, and I mean, obviously, like with all these, you know, different influences as such, and all these different colors, these the the how vibrant the show is more than anything else. Like it's one of the most, it's one of the more amazing. Like Amphibia, at least in my opinion, is probably one of the most complete shows that's out there with all the different colors. Like the visuals are absolutely stellar. The 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 story that is being told is one of the most riveting ones out there. Especially the more that you go down the little rabbit hole that Matt is basically preparing more than anything else. Like, does it still blow your mind the fact that you get to work on this show sometimes? <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yes, working from home during the pandemic has definitely shifted the. Uh, the ways that we produce the content. Mm -hmm. uh, everything is very much Zoom meetings and, you know, talking on our messaging systems and whatnot. Um, it is definitely different, but the impact is still there. And to see the, the fans, I have literally never worked on a show before where the fans do promo arts for episodes dropping. <laughs> I have never seen that in my life. And I was like, Oh, wow. The fan base on Amphibia, stellar. Like, y'all are amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I imagine they probably showcased that a whole lot more with the whole entire finale fiasco with True Colors. I I, I don't want to divulge too oh, much. Yep. I was going to say, I don't want to divulge too much into that because for those that know the situation, I'm sure they'll understand. But I want to know, at least from a, like a crew standpoint, how was your guys' reaction with everything that kind of went down with that? Uh, throughout the whole thing, we were very supportive of Matt and his vision, mm -hmm. uh, and also very much compliant with what uh, needed to go down and happen. So it, it, for us, we were always in support of Matt and always trying to be there for Matt, and because this is his show and his vision, ultimately, right. at the end of the day, and we just wanted to be like, we're here to support you. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it, we, it really, the whole thing, and it was so heartwarming to see the fans trying to support us and being a support and just drawing more art and hyping up the show um I, for all of y'all who post on twitter your amphibia art we see a lot of it like this is like y'all are talented yeah. um and yeah. if i i get i get this side just a side quick side thing um i get a lot of people asking me like is you know drawing fan art of animation and shows like going to get you in the industry uh not no there are a lot of people who do fan art of you know shows that they love and the show creators see that and they're like oh your style is great yeah let's get you in for like an interview for something so you know don't and going back to the beginning do what you love to do <laughs> if you do Absolutely. what you love to do and draw what you love to draw people are going to notice that Absolutely. I mean, it's one of those that talking about like the fan art stuff like that. That's something that I, I talked about with uh, last week's guest, uh, Roya Shahidi, you know, talking about like how people that she has known personally had done like fan art and they've gone on to work on some of those shows. Like the example that she used, I can't remember the person's name, but like did Steven Universe fan art and then eventually got to work on Steven Universe. Um, people that she worked with on her uh, or that they worked with on their um Kirby reanimated eventually getting jobs in the industry because of the little like couple seconds animations that they did for that project like it's one of those fan art at the very least should be encouraged because you never know where it can eventually lead you one way or another mm -hmm. absolutely 
Absolutely. And you, you talked about, you know, kind of this, this community, especially with Amphibia. It, it's an amazing one, but you're also part of another very strong, in, you know, community and such. And that's the uh, the LGBTQ plus community, especially when it comes to animation and such. You are a chair of the queer tag or the animation guild as well. How like what sort of responsibilities come with that? How did you how are you aware of like that little aspect of the the of tag? So, uh, when I first got started in color design and starting through the union, I was super happy to be part of a union. Mm. Unions are amazing. Um, they're for protecting the individual rather than the corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when I was in the union, uh, a friend of mine who is also queer, he was like, hey, did you notice that there's like not a committee for LGBTQIA+, and I was like, oh, you know what? That's true. Uh, and he was like, you know, one of my friends at a different studio had mentioned the same and was thinking maybe of getting a committee started. And I was like, bet. So we got a bunch of uh, our friends who are LGBTQIA+, and brought them together and started just right there. We just started the committee meetings and just being like, you know, what are things that we see happening in the industry that we want to improve for our community members? Um, and from there, we started holding meetings and getting a community together and really getting to know uh, one another who are in this industry. Uh, so that was really the founding of uh, the, the Queer Tag Committee. Okay. Um, and it wasn't, uh, yeah, and it wasn't until uh, the pandemic hit that we made a Discord server. Uh, and originally, this Discord server, I just made it for the union members uh and made it as like a space for the committee to chat and it wasn't really catching on too well Mm. um so uh, a couple of the committee members were like hey we've had people uh in our community who are lgbtqia who are not in the union but maybe their production staff are working at a non-union industry and they just they want a community what do you think about opening it up? And I was like, huh, that's an excellent idea. So um, we we opened up the Discord channel to people who are uh, 18 plus years old and are of the LGBTQIA plus community, mm-hmm. um, uh, excluding allies in this because we wanted to create and facilitate a certain space. Um, so we we reached out and we put out the calls and we have uh, over 900 members who are who range from non-union to union to students to production staff to people all over the world who are together on this uh, Slack channel or this uh, Discord server. Yeah, I mean, going back just a little bit, I didn't realize you were one of the people that basically helped create a a committee. Uh, uh, uh a committee for you know queer individuals in the uh animation guild i i i guess i it never occurred to me how recent something like that must have been i i figured it had been a part of the industry for like years but i i was obviously very wrong considering if i come from the outside looking in so it's incredible oh good yeah it's incredible to know that you're one of the people that is more or less like fostering this kind of like movement and representation more than anything else yeah, uh, I'm a, a co-founder of the committee. Um, okay. It was founded by me and a few others, um, some of which are still part of the committee today. 
and uh, I've always been uh, like in in chair or president type of facilitating positions for LGBTQ groups uh, in my college. I was the president of uh, it was called BT Glass at the time. Okay. Um, it was the LGBTQIA group in college for building community. Um, so I'm no stranger to fostering my community. No, that's fair enough. I was going to say, I know for me in college, I was, I represent, I, I, sorry, I identify as an ally when it comes to that whole entire spectrum or whatnot. Yeah. I was a part of what was in my college. It was GSA. It was in college called the gay straight Alliance, but they had since changed yeah. it to like gender something Alliance. I forget what it is off the top of my head. And I apologize sure. for not remembering that, but still oh, like yeah. the, the kind of community that goes behind that and the representation that should be out there more than anything else. Like I can only imagine mm -hmm. how important it was. How important was it for you to not only have this kind of committee, but like to foster it to where it is now, like how important is it to have that in this industry more than anything else? It is incredibly important for the LGBTQIA communities to have uh, close friends and family with one another, uh, especially in times like these, where we are stuck at home, uh, where we might not be in places where our identity is affirmed and respected. So it is vital to have these places where you can have a brave space to be yourself and to be witnessed and affirmed as who you are. Um, and for the animation industry, it was vital to get the community together to say, you know, animation, generally speaking, is very queer friendly, queer and trans friendly, but it certainly is not perfect. And there are definitely ways that we need to improve uh, the situations not only for current members, but our future members. Right, right. I mean, it, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but the fact that, you know, more or less like animation, entertainment as a whole, but specifically animation, like it's, it's a very interpretive art and something that should represent the audience more than anything else at the end of the day. And if there isn't that kind of representation mm -hmm. that you guys have in the community that makes the stuff for that audience, then that message won't be translated as well as it should be. And I feel like it's important for you guys to have this kind of committee to make sure that that kind of representation is there, not just for you guys, but for the audience that, that identifies with that kind of stuff that is a part of that in one aspect or another. Um, correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth again. Oh, no, that's, that's precisely right. You know, we see these um, studios that want to produce stories that have, you know, maybe a uh, queer or trans uh, person in the roster uh, or someone uh who is BIPOC and you know in the industry truth be told the industry is still very much heterosexual cisgendered white man so to say that y'all want to uh, share stories of queer people trans people and people of color uh, it's incredibly disingenuous when it's being told by cis hetero white people not to say that they cannot tell stories of these people, but if you want true, genuine stories, you need to hire and pay equitably the people that you want to tell stories of. 
Absolutely. That, that there's no other way I could have worded that myself, but <laughs> no, I mean, thank, thank you for, thank you for fostering this kind of community and for, for being one of the people to help like pioneer this kind of thing in the animation industry. Cause I can only imagine like how rough, how rough it must be, how rough it could have been for you at times to like make sure that these opportunities were there. Oh, absolutely. I, um, before I was in the union, I had terrible experiences um, expressing my gender at work. Uh, a lot of microaggressions um, being sent to the head of HR because I was dressing too artsy, uh, which is very coded language. Uh, if you are someone who is LGBTQIA in that community, being told that you're dressing too artsy is very much you're dressing too gay. So I was gonna, uh, I was gonna was, say yeah. I'm sorry I was gonna say being told that you're dressing too artsy in an art based field I feel like that should be like the perfect connection ahead of time I, I'm surprised well, that that kind of stuff was pointed out. So it was vital to be in a union where you know when you're in the union you dress and you express yourself how you damn want to be expressed in live you know that's just a matter of fact you have a whole union protecting you um and also i'm lucky enough to be in california where we have uh generally really good protections for the lgbtqia community uh, so it's it's a, a good place to be in there you go there you go. And I do want to say, whenever you're talking about quote-unquote dressing to artsy or whatnot, I've seen some of the styles that you've presented in your own personal art, and I can tell you right now, you, I, I'm surprised HR was focusing on it being too artsy and not too amazing with how you looked in some of that stuff. Seriously, my... Like, that part. That part. <laughs> I was serving looks, and then I, you know, I had that experience, and then I uh, went to my partner, and my partner was like, oh, that's illegal. Yeah. Uh go back there and you know tell them and i did and long story short i came out of that situation more queer as ever like more 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 queer i was like oh you have a problem with me now just wait <laughs> goodness i mean hey you know it, it's a good thing that you didn't exactly back down from that situation because i can only imagine some people being in that situation probably wouldn't have reacted the same way as you did so i'm glad you stood your ground i'm glad you're able to represent yourself in the best way possible because at the end of the day like you're a, you're a human being you should be able to express yourself in the best way possible absolutely and you know i uh i would hate if anyone else had that experience so i can't let me have that experience and not at least be an advocate for myself right right and I, once again i i applaud you for for being out loud and proud of that more than anything else and making sure that people understand that you know this is who you are at the end of the day yes thank you and like i was also trying to get with the the previous points one was like with your personal art as well you certainly don't hold back on that kind of stuff do you approach your own personal art in a different way as like the the art that you make at work like with some of your like self-portraits and such such oh absolutely yeah absolutely you know the thing the, the things i do at work um i do my color design through a queer lens. Uh, and I, you know, talk to communities and I educate myself and I, you know, I am a white man um, and I need to know how to properly color 
someone who has a darker skin complexion and, you know, find out ways that are appropriate to best represent communities that we want to tell in stories. So it is important, vital, and necessary for me to do my research and do practice uh, wide ranges of color design and wide ranges of people and not just a bunch of white guys like woo <laughs> like be i need to be more diverse in my approach of uh color design and art just to be the best artist i can be right right especially with amphibia not just you know with the wide range of characters that are included in there with the wide diversity that there is but also with some of the the you know to be blunt the 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 toad characters more or less with the different colors that go with that one, but more or less with mm-hmm. your original point, like the diversity that the amphibia has when it comes to the human aspect, like it's, it's certainly something else. And I can only imagine the amount of time and research goes into something like that. Absolutely. It is key and vital. Uh, Matt, I, I want to do justice with him and right. the culture that he brings to the show. So I always be, I'm always hyper aware and hypersensitive of the color choices I use. There you go. There you go. Since working at Amphibia, has there been a moment or a certain like color that you've been able to exhibit that you're like proudest of? Like you can show someone like basically a screen cap and be like, these are my colors. This is like the most amazing thing I've done on this show. Ooh, excellent question. Let me pull up my website. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a good start. (laughs) I like, I can't, I can't stress this enough. Amphibia has pushed my skill and ability immensely. Um, when you're in, uh, when so there's this thing that happens when you are working in animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, a year after working in animation, your skill jumps through the roof. Okay. You you like excel skill wise, and like you'll see it. You'll be like you'll look at your work a year later and compare it and be like, whoa what just happened (laughs) so um i think in general though for amphibia specifically Mm -hmm. i was very i'm still very passionate about uh doing these um character palettes so being able to set the characters and set the mood of these character props and effects Mm -hmm. within these amazing painted backgrounds and art direction for the shots um you know whether it is uh the, the temple episodes, which are amazing and oh, yeah. so fun. Oh, yeah. Um, Frobo going wild uh, with all the, the all red palettes, uh, you know, the very kawaii poses that we sometimes show, explosions, some the the second and third palette, those color palettes, or second and third temple, those color palettes were amazing to work on. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, of course, the season two finale. Holy smoke! <laughs> that was that was the most work I've ever done, right. and it was so rewarding because that pushed my ability to color design and the effects and just the color palette, and that was a wild ride. Oh, yeah. um, and I'm very happy to say that I was uh, privileged to do um, some of the more important models of the. Uh, season two finale um if you're curious i don't want to do any spoilers on this podcast of course just in case it's still pretty fresh um if you're interested you can you know 
tune in. <laughs> I mean, it's on, it's, it's on Disney Plus right now. Like, season two is on Disney sure Plus. Is. So there you go. Uh, they can tr- truly, like, experience, like, the different, like, again, the colors that you more or less brought to the table with just, like, I know, like, the finale in particular, but just the, the show as a whole, especially with this past season, just, like, the variety of different colors and temperatures and all sorts of different kind of stuff you brought to that. And I assume you were rewarded well because, again, you got promoted to being the lead color designer. I don't need uh, the information of what to what is going to be on it because that's NDA territory, and I don't want this podcast to be destroyed to the ground. But <laughs> how, how has your responsibilities more or less changed from season two to season three at this point? Um, the responsibilities kind of uh, it kind of stayed the same. It, but there's just more of a focal uh, focus point of like leading the color front mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, I still do what is called a route sheet. Okay. Uh, and what that is, is I uh, work with the art director closely and we go through scene by scene and I uh, notify on a sheet that says what palette every scene is going to be. So like you know, scenes one to 30 is in day palette, and then they go into this cave for 10 scenes. So like scenes 11 to 20 will be in this cave palette. And then I have to work on making those palettes for the characters uh, and then communicating that with my other color designer. Um, so uh, it's a really, really fun task that is not entry level. Can't stress this enough. Right. Being color design is not entry level. Like you cannot just fill in you know paint by numbers this work this is not you got to know what the color of the light does to the local color of an object and how that uh how that looks on different shadows and the lights and etc right right and especially with again like especially with a show like amphibia to where there's just like a plethora of all sorts of different again colors and temperatures and stuff like that mm-hmm. entry level is putting it mildly as something that you need a little bit more than just that when it comes to something like this. Um, I did want to ask this a little sooner, but I totally forgot. This is also a question from, again, my wonderful producer, Maria, AKA tipsy J heart is, is there, (laughs) there you go. Is there a color that you tend to like either accidentally or like, is like the default color whenever you try to do a color palette more or less? Um, well, I one of my favorite colors is like a mixture between lavender and periwinkle. Okay. Um, so those two colors, like I'm like right in between there, those that's like my favorite color, and I love that. Um, when specifically for amphibia, mm-hmm. whenever I do my color designs, uh, I keep in mind the environment. Uh, the tools and the resources and just kind of the nature of the beast of Amphibia. Mm -hmm. So, like, they're all frogs and they don't have, like, metal and technology. Like, they don't have these, like, blue steel technologies and they don't have these, like, you know, sophisticated, like, human-esque tools. So a lot of the thing, a lot of my colors skew toward more nature-y, like, uh, uh, green colors mm-hmm. to kind of reflect that the foliage is being used as the tools and things of that nature, and like they're for their clothes as well. Um, so it, uh, I, I keep in mind a lot of the story and elements of the story when I do my color design. Okay, 
Okay, no, it's it's a good insight more than anything else because I mean, especially again with the environment in that show, more or less, like that's that's always got to be at least top priority. Making sure that again, whatever color palette you're applying helps with making sure the the animation seems very lived in more than anything else. Absolutely, yeah. There you go. Um, well, we've we've been talking about basically your entire animation journey at this point. Let's go to a little bit of a dream scenario, if I may ask. Let's say I am. Big shot, Mr. Moneybags. You know, I have connections to anyone and anyone, anyone and everyone in the industry, and I have more money than should be available in this world, for God's sakes. Um, I, I come to you, I'm like, look, Andy, we love just about everything that you're doing at this point, you know, making this stuff look absolutely incredible, and also the representation you have. We know that you could lead the charge on something absolutely incredible. If given the opportunity, what would be the dream Andy Gardner Flexner project? Uh, man, I mean, I, so my goals are, of course, I want to, uh, develop my own show. Mm-hmm. Um, I have studied animation for eight plus years. I've worked in production. I know the production pipeline, like the back of my hand. I've worked with the animation studios that we frequent. I am no stranger to animation. Uh, I am no stranger to storytelling and I'm no stranger to the craft. So I, making a show would be amazing, but uh, I'd also love to art direct, of course. Um, but if if given if given the opportunity you just presented, I would absolutely start a company. Like I would start an animation. Okay. okay. No, no. I trust me. Again, I have connections to everyone. I got more money to do with. We can make that animation company possible, and you can produce just about everything that exists in the world. So there you go. <laughs> absolutely. I it, it would go from. Uh, I joke about this on the on my Discord server too. Uh, of uh, oops, it started as the QT an animation server and evolved into the QT Animation Studios. There you go. There you go. So I mean, if I had out, if I had that money, I would literally just make a studio out of my Discord server. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Though you might have to change the QT because I'm pretty sure like Quick Trip or whatnot might have copyright or registered on that, but still. <laughs> Uh, you know, I uh, a fun thing about the the name. Um, I thought it was QT was very appropriate because we're all cuties. Yeah. Um, so you know, cuties animation studio, perfect. There you go. There we go. Well, let let's you know go down from the dream scenario. Let's let's come down a little bit. Let's get back to reality for a little bit. Sadly, where do you hope to see yourself say five ten years from now? Uh, five ten years. I hope I am. Just finishing up uh, my my series, uh, having a toast, and thanking my crew for working with me uh, to develop such an amazing series for everyone to enjoy. Uh, and who knows? I mean, from there, I guess either go into art direction or direction in general, uh, or teaching. I could see myself doing some teaching. Or even still making more shows. There's not enough queer content. There's oh, yeah. absolutely not enough. And whenever we get one piece of queer content, it is heavily scrutinized, not only by the people within the community, which is rightfully so will be, but also by people outside of the community. And then it's trying to be shaped into something for people outside of the community, since there's such a lack of and trans content out there so 
the the app there's such a shortage of this content it's not a matter of we have to make the best queer and trans content it's that we have to make queer and trans content by queer and trans creators and very importantly our uh bipoc community yeah. members as well absolutely that's something that I see a lot more of when in the industry, but I also know, at least from the outside looking in, that there's still a long way to go. And you can probably attest to this. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's still lengths and you know leaps and bounds that need to be made before we get to that point. But I, I imagine with, with people like you more or less leading the front on that, it might be happening a little sooner rather than later. So, I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best to be an advocate for change of, of radical inclusion. Um, a lot of people think diversity looks like taking the cream of the crop, taking the people who've had opportunities and have the money to go to college and get these educations and resources and giving them the jobs. What it really looks like is giving people money and opportunity for the resources and for learning on the job. And then also giving those mentors time and money to do the work and adjusting the schedule properly. There we go. There we go. That's all. Hopefully we'll get to that point sometime in the near future. I, I At least I can only help. I hope so too. There you go. Well, uh, I just have one last question that I want to ask as we're winding down the interview right here. Obviously, like you're heavily invested when it comes to art and animation and all different aspects of it. How important is art not just for you, but for the world as a whole? Art is, uh, you know, Things like history uh, and such, they art lasts forever, uh, or for a very long time, I should say, and leave an impression. And when you can't see yourself in art, it it makes you feel alone. It makes you feel like you're alone in this world. You're you don't have community. And art, to me. Uh, as a queer individual is so important to be able to see myself not only in in animation and in shows but just in the world in general and in a positive and joyful light uh, I want to know that you know uh, there's a lot of conversation happening about queer pain um, and a lot of places want to show queer stories and they just want to show the painful parts of it without any joy and that's not the representation we need. We need to know that our queer and trans community members have happy endings and have happy and joyful stories. So being able to see myself reflected in a joyful, positive light is necessary for my survival as well as the growth and well-being of many people like me. That was beautifully worded, if I do say so myself, and I can't think of a better way to word it as well. So thank you for thank you for giving your input on that um with that that's, with that that's all the questions i have um i've already showered you with some praise but i'm gonna shower you with some more because it's my podcast i do what i want um, yeah. <laughs> um andy i cannot emphasize how amazing it is for an opportunity for me to, to talk to you as as someone that obviously is a major consumer of art and such to be able to talk to someone that is so invested as you are with some of the stuff that is reaching out to thousands millions of people out there is absolutely amazing for me but getting the chance to actually sit down and talk to you and getting the opportunity to like hear your story hear where you come from what you're trying to do more than anything else like it's absolutely amazing and 
it's inspiring more than anything else. I pre- I also want to give an additional thank you uh, for actually helping out the podcast in a more direct manner because I believe, and you can correct me on this, when I was setting up for my newest merch drop, Maria, it was either you or someone probably in that guild or, or in that uh, server had approached someone in there about uh, different LGBTQ plus charities to potentially be a part of in one aspect or another. And with this recent merch drop, I was able, I'm donating all the profits even after pride month is done and over with, I'm donating all the profits to either Lambda literary or the trans lifeline. So I want to thank you for, I want to thank you for giving that input. But also, like I said before, with the story that you've told with, um, you know, hearing what you've gone through, what you've had to endure, and hearing what you could do from here on out, I am going to be one of those in this strong community, more or less, that's going to be rooting for you every single step of the way, and I cannot wait to see what's next for you. So thank you for what you do, and thank you for the I'm, opportunity. Oh my gosh. Thank you so, so, so much. That is so wonderful and kind of you. I'm so happy to hear that you, can, uh, that you have the ability to donate when that you have uh, the, the resources do so so that is amazing to hear um i also uh want to put out a disclaimer that i should have probably said at the very top of the podcast mm-hmm. um that i that all of the comments that i say are my own right. i do not represent the companies uh disney or cartoon network uh, my the comments i say and share here are just my own individual comments I'll be sure to include a little something in. I, I do like a recorded intro before the actual podcast, so I'll be sure to include that disclaimer at the beginning as well. But also, Thank I'll leave this you. part here. And <laughs> Again, I am trying so to much. make sure you are covered because you deserve to have many years in this industry, and you shouldn't have a comment be the reason why you stop. So, oh man, that part. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, for people that might be curious on where else to to find more about yourself and what you do, go ahead and plug yourself for the people at home. Okay, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, you can look me up by my name, Andy Gardner hyphen Flexner, or you can just look at my handle at it's O H underscore Hey with three Y's mm-hmm. underscore Andy. Uh, and a very similar one for my Instagram being O oh, Hey Andy, but only one way Y at the on the uh, Hey. So. Those are my two main outlets of art and happenings. There you go. And also, you also have a website. People want to see more of the, the stuff you've worked on and Ooh, such. Yeah. Uh, my website, andygflex.squarespace.com. There you go. And if you've missed anything, I'll be sure to link it down in the description below. Um, <laughs> do you have any final words before we sign off? Um, I think just uh, I, I want to express to people who feel that they might not have a community out there who are LGBTQIA+. Um, you know, they're, you're not alone. There are people who go through very similar thoughts as your own. If you are depressed, filled with anxiety, feel like you're at a loss, um, know that you are not the first nor the last to have those thoughts. And there is community out there for you. Uh, and I strongly encourage you to find that community uh, and healthy spaces that will uplift you and really affirm who you are in this world. Um, I also want to plug the QT Animation Discord server. Um, it is open to people who are 18 plus and are LGBTQIA. Uh, 
we are not accepting uh, allies, but y'all are important and we value you. Uh, the space that we're cultivating is just for people who are in the community. Um, and if you are in animation or interested in breaking into the animation industry uh, and you fit all of those qualifications, reach out. There we go. There we go. With that, all I have left to say is for the people at home, hasta luego, amigos. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard.